the February 6, 2024 Health Commission meeting. Secretary Morowitz, will you call the roll? Yes, I'll start with Commissioner Chow. Here. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'll, Commissioner Chung, I'll do you. Commissioner Guillermo. Uh, present. Commissioner Green. Present. Commissioner Christian. Present. Commissioner Dorado. Present. And Commissioner Chow. Yes. Great. Great. Well, before we begin the business of the meeting, we'd like to acknowledge and celebrate Black History Month. Director Colfax has included a brief summary of some relevant DPH activities in his director's report today. And in addition, the Health Commission approved Resolution 20-09, declaring anti-Black racism a human rights and public health crisis in San Francisco several years ago. Uh, the resolution is actually available on the Health Commission webpage. I also want to congratulate newly appointed, reappointed Commissioners Christian and Commissioner Chung, who were just sworn in a few minutes ago. And Commissioner Chung will read the land acknowledgement. Um, thank you, Commissioner Green. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. The next item on the agenda is the approval of the minutes of the Health Commission meeting of December 19th, 2023. Are there any additions or corrections? And if I may, before we do that, um, I just would like to, this is on the agenda as well as the website. The, at um, the January um, 16th meeting, there was not a quorum of commissioners. And so we held an information session. I, um, as a courtesy to the public, um, I have notes provided, but they're not um, any legal um, uh, recording of the meeting because the meeting was an informal one. And so there will be no action taken on those um, notes. Thank you very much for that clarification. Secretary Murwitz, is there a motion to approve the minutes? I'll move approval. A second? Second. And is there any public comment on this item? Is there any public comment in the room on this item? I've not received a request. So I will do a roll call vote because of Commissioner Chow. Commissioner Chow, um, how do you vote on this item? Uh, yes. And everyone else in the room, how do you vote on this item? Yes. 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 All right, great. The minutes are approved. All right. Thank you very much. The next item is general public comment, and Secretary Morowitz has a statement. So uh, we have... Actually, we don't have any requests so far for general public comment, but... Um, let me grab my piece of paper. I apologize. Okay. Um, for, at this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, but are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to two minutes. The Brown Act forbids the commission from taking action or discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda, including those raised during public comment. 
Uh, please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to return to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to the Health Commission at the following email address, the word health.commission.dph at sfdph.org. If you wish to spell your name in the minutes, you may do so during your verbal comments without taking your allotted time. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Um, and I, I also want to just remind folks that in accordance with the mayor's request, the Health Commission announced that its December 19th meeting that beginning at on January 16th, remote public comment will only be available to individuals who receive accommodation for disability um, by noon before the meeting today. And we had two of those, uh, two folks have received accommodation um, to participate remotely. And I just realized that we didn't check remote public comment on um, on the minutes. So I'll go back and do it if we need to. So uh, is there anyone in the room who would like to make general public comment? Everyone has three minutes. When the buzzer goes off, please know your time is up. Thank you. Um, so I have a, a general concern, and then I'm going to speak a little bit about it. So where is the Health Commission and Department of Public Health at with the false medical diagnosis and placing people on digital surveillance to assimilate them with voice technologies for personal, religious, and political reasons. And I'll explain that. In January, there wasn't a meeting. The first one was canceled. and the second one, there was no quorum. And so several people within the county, city and county, used technology to influence that decision. It's called Radian 6 technology, and it's a cloud technology that the city and county uses. And unfortunately, they placed every single person on the commission on digital surveillance, which is Ill illegal. They cannot do that. I would definitely investigate that. And Grant Colfax, you do know what I'm talking about. Um, here's the contract that the city signed with HSA and Salesforce. Salesforce. They built a platform to put every single person, every citizen, on digital surveillance. It explains overdoses, heart disease, overdoses, everything. It explains everything because what they did is they gave credentials to teams of people just cyber-stalking our neighbors, our family, our friends. And it's very reprehensible that there is a commissioner of the softball league that they are altering softball games with this technology. That is not the best way to spend money in this county. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the room who would like to make general public comment? All right, uh, let's see. Uh, there's a hand up on the remote. Caller, you're on, on the line. Please let us know that you're there. I am. Um, you've got three this minutes. Code AA. Because my voice is so hoarse and I'm unable to talk with my own voice, as a reasonable accommodation, I am using the Microsoft Windows feature called Read Aloud during this meeting to speak for me to ensure that my oral testimony is recorded in the audio of this meeting. Unfortunately, I'm having trouble with Windows changing the read aloud narrator's voice to a male voice, so the Windows voice used today is a standard default female voice. Thank you. And who's lined up there? They will be on. Okay. <clears throat> Mr. Manette Shaw, um, we heard the beginning of that, but we didn't hear your comments. Are you still there? Okay, I'm gonna stop that comment. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what to do with that. 
And that's the only hand we had up for general public comment. Thank you. Thank you. So the next item on our agenda is a resolution to authorize the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a gift of $15,750 from the San Francisco Public Health Foundation. And uh, Gregory Wong, who's our administrative analyst, will present. Thank you very much, dear commissioners. We humbly ask for your approval to amend the resolution 22-25 previously approved on December 20th, 2022, in order to accept an in-kind gift of hygiene and snack boxes in the value of $15,750 from the San Francisco Public Health Foundation to the Department of Public Health, which will go to help the homeless people of San Francisco. Uh, this donation was unfortunately delayed due to the review, adoption, and approval of the memorandum of understanding between the San Francisco Public Health Foundation and the Department of Public Health on July 18th, 2023, and the subsequent signing of the MOU on November 1st, 2023. After the signing of this MOU, we work with the city attorney to draft an amendment that would allow for the distribution of the gift in an expeditious manner. We'll be happy to answer any questions that the commission might have regarding this in-kind gift. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve this resolution? So moved. Second. Is there any public comment on this item? Is there any public comment in the room on this item? All right, uh, I see one hand. Mr. Manetzal, do you have public comment on this item? All right, I, I don't think I'm hearing anything, so we're gonna we'll end that call and that we can move on to a vote. Right. Um, Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. Commissioner uh, Chung? Yes. Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Christian? Aye. Commissioner Dorado? Yes. Thank you. The resolution passes. Wonderful. Thank you. And we have a companion resolution, which is um, to authorize the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a gift of $24,999 to the Laguna Honda Gift Fund from the Anthony R. Guardino Exemption Trust. And uh, someone else will be presenting. Oh, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Leo Palacios, and I'm the Gift Fund Program Manager for Laguna Honda Hospital. Uh, Laguna Honda Hospital has received a donation for $24,999 from the Anthony R. Guardino Exemption Trust. We are gracious for this donation because it will be used to improve the residents' well-being and quality of life at the hospital. Uh, in order for uh, the Department of Public Health to access these funds, the Health Committee must um, authorize the Department to accept and expend the donation. We have provided you with a resolution further explaining uh, the Department of Public Health's plans for these funds, and I respectfully ask for your approval. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve the resolution? Move approval. Is there a second? Second. Is there any public comment on this item? Is there any public comment in the room on this item? All right, uh, and let's see remotely. Is there any public comment? I see a hand again. Let's see. Mr. Manette Shaw, are you there? Do you have public comment on this item? Okay, thank you. Uh, no public comments, so we'll go on to a vote. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. Commissioner Chung? 
Yes. Commissioner Guillermo. Yes. Commissioner Green. Yes. Commissioner Christian. Aye. And Commissioner Gerardo. Yes. Thank you. The resolution passes. Yes. And we'd like to thank the San Francisco Public Health Foundation and the Anthony Guardino Exemption Trust for their, for their generosity. Thank you so much. Um, so the next item on our agenda is the DPH annual report for the fiscal years 2022 to 2023. And Michelle Coe, who's the health program planner, will present this wonderful report to us. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Michelle Coe, and I'm a health program planner with the Office of Policy and Planning. I'm here today to present the department's annual report for fiscal year 2022 to 2023. As you're aware, the annual report is required by the city administrative code, and the report provides a general summary of DPH's accomplishments over the past fiscal year. We have incorporated feedback we received from the commissioners during our community and public health committee presentation. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my colleagues across the department for their tremendous collaboration in preparing this report. Next slide, please. The annual report opens with a message and welcome from our Director of Health, Dr. Grant Colfax. This message highlights DPH's response to MPOX, formerly monkeypox, the expansion of behavioral health services, the reopening of three DPH clinics, the Southeast Family Health Center, the Castro Mission Health Center, and the Maria X. Martinez Health Resource Center, and finally, the Laguna Honda Hospital recertification. Next slide, please. The director's message is followed by a message from our former commission president, Bernal. His message similarly discusses DPH's response to MPOX, the Laguna Honda Hospital recertification, and the reopening of the three aforementioned DPH clinics. Both of these messages provide our leadership's introduction to the department's activities discussed in the report. Next slide, please. The next set of sections provide an overview of the functions and services across the department. The sections start by introducing the department's two divisions and their roles in protecting and promoting the health of San Franciscans. The next section reviews DPH's true north and its six true pillars which is then followed by the most recent organizational chart. As part of the Racial Equity Action Plan, this year's report presents demographic information on both the health commissioners and senior leadership, and this data will continue to be collected and presented in the annual report each year. Next slide, please. The last introductory section focuses on the health commission. This section provides an overview of the structure and function of the commission, along with individual bios for each commissioner. Next slide, please. The next section of the report presents three feature stories that highlight some of the highest profile efforts by the department in the fiscal year. The first feature provides an overview of DPH's community-centered, nationally recognized response to MPOX. This feature describes how DPH responded to the MPOX global outbreak, which was disproportionately impacting gay men and other LGBTQ plus individuals. On July 28, 2022, San Francisco became the first U.S. jurisdiction to announce a public health emergency for MPOX. San Francisco's effective response was a collective effort of teams from across the Department of Public Health. Employing lessons learned during the COVID pandemic, the MPOX vaccine team worked quickly to ensure equitable distribution of vaccines. 
Over 55,000 doses have been administered within San Francisco between May 1st, 2022 and June 30th, 2023. In fact, San Francisco has one of the highest rates of vaccination coverage in the United States. DPH's response was also community-centered, partnering with numerous Black, Latinx, trans, and youth community organizations to spread awareness, provide education, direct resources, and respond to community concerns. Next slide, please. The second feature provides an overview of behavioral health services expansion of overdose prevention efforts in the fiscal year. As you know, we faced an urgent and dire drug overdose epidemic in our city. In response to this ongoing public health crisis, DPH released the Overdose Prevention Plan in September 2022 and established the Office of Overdose Prevention. The feature also highlights the significant progress made over the fiscal year to expand mental health and substance use disorder services, including opening an additional 70 residential treatment step-down beds, expanding hours for intake and treatment at various clinic sites, delivering buprenorphine to 80 plus clients in 25 housing facilities, training hundreds of people in overdose recognition and naloxone use across the city, and distributing more than 135,000 doses of naloxone, the life-saving antidote to opioid overdoses. Next slide, please. The last feature discusses how DPH reopened three clinics in the fiscal year. DPH health clinics play a key role in the San Francisco Health Network delivery system, ensuring access to high quality care. <clears throat> to address the evolving needs of our diverse communities, DPH is modernizing and making necessary health and safety upgrades to our networks of clinics. First, DPH reopened the Southeast Family Health Center, a 22,000 square foot neighborhood clinic that provides a family-oriented primary care model with comprehensive behavioral health services tailored to the diverse health needs of the Bayview-Hunters Point community. The center expands the original Southeast Health Center, which first opened its doors as a standalone community-based clinic in 1979. The existing health center has been among the busiest clinics in the network, serving more than 4,000 patients annually who are predominantly low-income and rely on the health center for their health care. Second, DPH reopened a newly renovated Castro Mission Health Center, the city's first neighborhood-based primary care clinic that has provided care to Castro and Mission communities for the past 57 years. The center serves almost 4,000 patients annually, and 51% of patients come from Latinx communities, and another 50% come from LGBTQ communities. Lastly, the Maria X. Martinez Health Resource Center, or MXM, opened in September 2022 as the new home of the Street Medicine Open Access Clinic and former Tom Waddell Urgent Care. MXM is one of the network's two urgent care clinics and provides approximately 15,000 visits a year to a target population of people experiencing homelessness. Patient visits have increased by more than 25% since the move to the new building, and the clinic welcomes 100 patients per day. Next slide, please. Following the features are 24 highlights showcasing work across the Population Health Division and the San Francisco Health Network. The highlights speak to the tremendous work across the department in areas such as healthcare services, behavioral health, whole person integrated care, population health, the Office of Health Equity and Central Administration, 
as well as Laguna Honda and Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospitals. We have incorporated feedback from last year to add more data points on patients and clients served by each program in order to better showcase the scope and scale of these programs. Next slide, please. The next major section of the report focuses on data, starting with DPH's budget. Budget data provides information on expenditures by program and by type, revenue by source, and major investments. Next slide, please. The next data section highlights San Francisco Health Network data on visits, patient demographics, and payer type across the major systems of care. This section also highlights how the network provides a wide array of services across the continuum of care. Unique patients or encountered data is provided for each of the service areas, primary care, behavioral health, whole person integrated care, jail health, dental health, home health, emergency specialty and urgent care, and diagnostic and ancillary care. Unique patients, patient days, and average stay days for skilled nursing are also included for ZSFG and Laguna Honda. Furthermore, this section also includes patient demographic data by race, ethnicity, age, sex, and gender. In addition, payer data that shows payer sources at ZSFG and Laguna Honda is included, as well as within primary care and whole person integrated care. Next slide, please. The report ends with an overview of the department's service sites and contractors. Included in this section are maps of the DPH primary care and specialty behavioral health service sites, which have been updated to reflect location changes, and a list of our community contractors is provided. Additionally, each of the Health Commission resolutions adopted in 2022 and 2023 are included. Lastly, the report uh, includes additional DPH resources, such as where to find more information on the Health Commission, where to get health coverage, and the San Francisco COVID response. Next slide, please. I'd like to thank the staff at DPH for their collaborative work on this report. Moving forward, we will look for ways to streamline the report, as well as provide more programmatic data to show the scope and scale of DPH's programs and services. At this time, I'm happy to take any questions or comments. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Is there any public comment on this item? Is there any public comment in the room on this item? Please uh, come up. I remember everyone's got three minutes, so I'll put a timer on. Thank you. Good afternoon, Health Commissioners. I just wanted to mention um, thank you uh, to DPH and to all the work that y'all did, especially during the MPOX crisis, to really elevate uh, community voices as part of that conversation and to really make sure that our communities were centered in the public health response in an equitable way and in a way that allowed folks to be able to access critical vaccines to stop the spread of the emerging crisis that we were experiencing. I also want to highlight as part of those efforts um, the work that was done with uh, countless community-based organizations that were really incredible in terms of reaching uh, key populations that were at highest risk and uh, maintaining that infrastructure in terms of our public health to be able to actually do the work that's required to stop uh, that crisis from continuing to spread. Um, and 
cuts to these community-based organizations uh, would not have allowed it, would have undermined our infrastructure, our public health infrastructure, and wouldn't have allowed us to be able to respond in as nimbly and as successfully as we were able to. So I wanted to lift that up also as part of the conversation, particularly around MPOX, but some of the other things that were mentioned in the presentation. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, see, and I see no one online, so no other public comments. All right, great. Are there any commissioner questions or comments? Commissioner Gerardo. I just wanted to thank you for um, not only the report, but incorporating um, the our committee feedback. Um, and just so the other commissioners know, our committee feedback was more data on um, for uh, the next report. And so we have the numbers um, that are served, et cetera. So your comments that the next report will reflect that. I just want to thank you and I appreciate that you will incorporate that information. So thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Any other commissioner questions, comments? Well, thank you so much. I think, and, and you know, this report really exemplifies the breadth and depth of what this department does. And I think our public comment or probably summarized it best how MPOX was dealt with is so exemplary of San Francisco values of the way this, or, this department can organize and mobilize. And I think across every division, certainly we, we've, we've had some challenges, but the way they've been met, and I, I think this report in particular um, outlines how hard everyone works and um, the incredible outcomes, many of these programs, of course, leading the nation. So I think on the behalf of all the commissioners, we would wanna thank each and every one of you who works at DPH for the work. I think this report really does show how hard you work and how thoughtful and caring you are. And of course, to the DPH leadership who's here, I see, um, I see uh, uh, Assistant Director Bob and of course, Director Colfax and, and our, soon to be a uh, controller of the city, uh, Greg Wagner, you've, you've been wonderful leaders and uh, we're, we're really very appreciative. So thank you. I, I, one more comment from uh, Commissioner Guillermo. Sorry, I, I think it doesn't get um, uh, said enough that the, the uniqueness of San Francisco in it being a city and county, uh, as well as this is a department that has oversight uh, in charge of hospitals, primary care delivery, as well as population health, behavioral health, and all of the things that are contained within this really great report. Uh, it, 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 speak, it doesn't get spoken to enough, I think, how complex then uh, that makes the administration of uh, all of the things that happen in this department. And, you know, uh, really um, the, the um, I think, celebration of being able to contain all of that uh, under sort of a single administration uh, is really important for us to really understand. Uh, and as much as there is a lot more to do and a lot, we can still be a lot better. We can always strive to be a lot better. Um, I think, again, pointing to the unique characteristics of San Francisco as a city and county, having you know the responsibility for both uh, uh, sets of, or the range of services that a city and county has, uh, and then administering all of that along with being able to, I mean, I always have to remind people that um, 
that San Francisco, uh, the, the department has charge of the hospitals mm. on the clinics in addition to all of the other things that uh, typical public health departments have. So uh, congratulations uh, and thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful. So I guess we go to the next agenda item and that is the uh, second hearing on the fiscal year 2024 to 25 and 25 to 26 budget. And for this, we have Jen Louie, who's our chief financial officer at DPH. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners, Jenny Louie, financial officer. I'm here to kick off the presentation for our second budget hearing. Um, and at some point I will turn it over to Ms. Gibbs, our uh, deputy uh, finance officer who actually walk you through the details um, and has actually prepared all of the materials um, for you today. And which I am truly grateful. Um, so uh, next slide, please. Um, so um, as you recall, we've had our first hearing on January 16th where we've done a budget overview um, and provided an outlook for the context um, for the mayor's budget instructions. We are back here today with a detailed proposal um, for the proposed budget year. and We are requesting your approval um, for submission to the controller and mayor's office on February 21st. Um, and I will just note um, a little bit more in a little more detail that further down the road, um, our current proposal does not meet um, our, our contingency target um, for the mayor's office at this time. Next slide, please. Um, and so our work will continue beyond um, today's hearing. Um, and if required, uh, if, if the contingency uh, proposals are required, they would require more challenging expenditure and service level reductions. There is significant uncertainty facing the city at this time. Um, the uh, governor has released um, his state budget. And while we are grateful that there's actually no significant adverse impacts to, uh, the, um, uh, to the areas of health, there are areas, there are other areas of the proposed state budget that could have uh, adverse impacts um, to other areas of the city, which may impact some of the revenues um, and may um, adjust the forecast. Um, we are currently, uh, the city is currently working on its six month report um, and, and the preliminary numbers do show that there's not ex expected significant improvement um, in the city's projections overall. Um, and we do also have labor negotiations this spring. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so with all of that news, um, our approach uh, for, um, for balancing this budget is really to leverage the revenues um, that we have to meet general fund uh, reduction targets. And we have some incredibly aggressive assumptions based off of data, as well as um, some pending state changes um, that we are um, projecting and including uh, as our first um, uh, line of defense in terms of meeting uh, general fund reduction targets. Um, and then we are bringing a set of targeted reductions and expenditure savings that really uh, uh, we are trying to minimize the impact on um, actual service levels. Um, it includes um, adjusting just budgets uh, to just true up to actuals. We're trying to find some operational efficiencies. Um, we are eliminating vacant positions um, that would not affect, um, because they're vacant, would not affect current day um, service levels. Um, and then we are also looking to um, uh, convert how we provide security services um, through a contract instead of a share of security. Um, next slide, please. In terms of the proposal before you, um, just so you recall, um, our general fund reduction target, our 10%, our first 10% reduction is $93 million. Um, and we also have additional revenue of about 16 and 30 million 
already assumed as part of the controller's office forecast. Um, those revenues in part um, do offset some of our inflationary costs um, within the department as well as the city overall. Um, but because they were already assumed, we can't double count um, that good news um, on our side of the ledger as well as um, the controller's side. Uh, we uh, did some work with the mayor's office on mid-year savings and we had close to $8 million ongoing and we will receive credit for those savings um, towards our initial target. Um, and so our, uh, our goal for today was to reach um, uh, the first 10%, which left about 102 and 120 million. And you see here, again, um, going back to uh, some of the assertive uh, revenue assumptions that we have, uh, we're putting forward about 71 million in the first year and 110 in the second year of revenue growth, um, and the balance of which um, will of expenditure savings of 21 and 25 million um, get us um, over the finish line. And then some, we have about a down payment of $5 million um, remaining um, towards um, our contingency target. Um, and so again, our work still remains um, with uh, about 47 million annually. And so that's again, 93 um, over the two years. And again, so we have about 90 million still to go. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Gibbs to talk more specifically about, um, to walk you through the initiatives themselves, um, and then I'll be back to just talk about some next steps. Great. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Emily Gibbs, Deputy Finance Officer for Budget and Planning at DPH. And we can go to the next slide. So diving in a bit to our initiatives, we are looking at a package that uh, has about 80% of the way to meeting those initial targets with revenue initiatives. And then the last 20% uh, is with expenditure initiatives. Um, and the largest of our revenue initiatives is our update to the baseline revenue um, for the health network and for Zuckerberg, San Francisco general. We're projecting right now that that will net us about 53 million in 24-25 and grow to 75 million in 25-26. Um, and this is reflecting a number of things, um, including uh, having our full uh, year end for the for 22-23 and the good news um, that was in that, as well as. Um, taking a look at where we are in the current year in terms of the, the revenue we're earning. So uh, a mix of just growth and rates, um, but also looking at kind of the full current level of service um, that we're providing. So um, good news there um, and allows us to, to solve for that baseline revenue target and then um, put something towards our overall general fund target. Um, the next initiative is um, a change at the state level to the enhanced payment program, uh, which is a supplemental payment program. It is um, one that is directed by the state through the MCP, so it's um, through the managed care plans, so it's not one they have discretion over. That change is pending um, with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, so there, we think it looks very likely, and so we were confident enough to put this in our proposal. Uh, it's about $8 million in 24-25 and then grows to almost $16 million in 25-26. Um, the next initiative updates our behavioral health services revenues. Uh, a little bit of growth in 24-25 um, and then grows to uh, $10.4 million in 25-26. This is primarily 2011 realignment and short-doyle medical. 
Uh, A4 is an initiative recognizing our ability to leverage additional uh, revenue from grants. So we're really reallocating existing administrative costs here, as well as staffing costs in the population health division. Uh, these are existing general fund expenditures, but that within the grants that we get, we are able to shift over to the grant revenue. And so recognizing that claiming in our budget for a savings of about 3.5 million a year. Moving to the next slide. We've got uh, uh, an initiative where we actually get to enhance services and also increase revenue. Um, so Zuckerberg, uh, San Francisco General will be able to improve its operating room capacity um, and net a revenue of around $5 million a year. Uh, that's based on increasing our anesthesiology staffing. So right now uh, we have about 536 hours per week of anesthesiology staffing. We're gonna add capacity to have 712 hours per week. Uh, and so based on that additional anesthesiology capacity, which has been our limiting factor, um, we'll be able to offer more procedures uh, and both generating more revenue, but also improving patient flow. Uh, the next couple of initiatives uh, in our revenue package are neutral. So they are generating uh, enough revenue to cover the costs. These are uh, increases to our specialty pharmacy, particularly our, our contracted specialty pharmacy program, um, as well as uh, the replacement of some equipment that is uh, critical to pharmacy services. Uh, we have a uh, additional appropriation for our primary care performance improvement program um, where they have been earning more in uh, performance improvement um, incentives than we had been budgeting. And so we will uh, recognize that in this budget with an additional appropriation. Um, and then a, a healthy steps program, which has been a, a grant funded pilot uh, that is now able to generate Medi-Cal revenue. And so uh, we will be able to bring that onto our budget and continue those services. Uh, so that gives us our total of 71 million in the first year growing to 110 million in the second year of uh, additional revenue that will offset our general fund. So moving to the expenditure savings side, next slide. Um, the first of these uh, is a savings to healthy San Francisco due to the expansion of Medi-Cal eligibility. So with the continued expansion of Medi-Cal uh, full scope to single adults, we will see the enrollment in healthy San Francisco drop. Um, so this is good news for our patients and good news for our provider partners in that they will be um, getting the full Medi-Cal reimbursement. Uh, and then on our side, we will reduce both the administrative costs and the fees paid to providers for uh, this group of patients. And so uh, you're seeing those savings here of about 2.4 million in 24, 25, growing to 3.7 in 25, 26. Next slide. Um, here we are uh, reducing our ongoing budget for COVID testing and vaccine costs. Uh, this is in recognition um, that we have seen uh, increasing numbers of our patients and community members turn to the healthcare system and to pharmacies for vaccine. And so we can, uh, we've seen a reduction in the use of neighborhood sites over time. And so we'll kind of reduce our budget accordingly. Uh, this will still leave about a million dollars a year uh, for a fall vaccine-based, uh, community-based push. 
moving to B4. Uh, on the next slide, um, this one is a shift of costs. So um, the Mental Health Services Act, which is a one per, uh, tax on one percent tax on the incomes over a million dollars in California, uh, we continue to see some revenue growth there. Uh, we are also uh, we can move to the next slide. We are also um, uh, anticipating some potential changes to that measure on the March 2024 ballot is a proposition one, which would redirect significant portions um, of funding within the Mental Health Services Act to prioritize housing, overdose prevention, substance use, and full service partnership initiatives. And so looking at those anticipated changes as well as the growth um, in the revenue projections, we are recommending shifting about 2.6 million in existing housing programs and 1.8 million in existing full service partnership programs that are currently funded by the general fund onto the Mental Health Services Act funding um, and generating uh, about a four and a half million dollar savings a year uh, in the general fund. Moving on to the next slide. Uh, this recognizes a couple of saving strategies within the administrative and operating uh, budget of DPH. Uh, so we're proposing uh, working with real estate to lease uh, a new space on market starting uh, in 24, 25. Uh, it will allow us to consolidate um, a number of spaces in the Civic Center area, including 101 New Montgomery, a part of a space we have at 1360 Mission, as well as some of the offices that are in this building. Uh, and we will ultimately generate a lease savings um, of about a half a million dollars a year. And then we also anticipate, because we're moving into a, a building that has um, existing security resources, some savings on for security as well. Um, we are also reflecting in this initiative um, some belt tightening uh, by our IT department that will generate about a million and a half in cost savings through a variety of, of different strategies. Moving to the next slide. Um, so we asked folks to look um, at ways to reduce vacant positions and this initiative uh, includes uh, nearly 75 uh, full-time equivalent vacant positions. There are a variety of different strategies um, that divisions took across the department to meet this. Uh, some of it was cleaning up partial positions to align with current hiring and, and usage. So where where we have a full-time position but filled it at a 0.8 level, we are reducing um, by that 0.2 and reflecting that in the submission. Uh, we eliminated positions from expiring grants or projects that don't have funding looked for operational efficiencies where responsibilities can be reorganized and looked at eliminating difficult to fill positions where service impacts can be minimized. So next slide, our last two initiatives on the expenditure saving side uh, are a reduction in University of California, San Francisco affiliation agreement costs. This is about 1.6 million a year as they have um, looked at their uh, labor agreements and inflation assumptions and been able to recognize some savings there. Um, and the last one is looking at contracting out certain security services. 
Um, so this is part of our ongoing efforts to work with uh, the security team here and the sheriff's department to find uh, the right strategies for staffing uh, security at our uh, hospitals and at our clinics. Um, this is one uh, initial proposal and we this one will have to continue to work through with all of the stakeholders involved in this. Uh, there's additional levels of approval on this kind of proposal at both at the board um, and working with the Civil Service Commission, but have kind of an initial outline um, that would change some posts from sheriff to uh, private security, certainly not all posts. So there's still a robust, robust sheriff's presence um, on both hospital campuses. Uh, uh, and um, there's also uh, a little bit of um, some vacant positions on the ZSFG campus that we have not filled um, that were meant to do a combination of, of uh, presence and, and navigation that we'll also explore um, replacing with private security support. So the total savings here uh, are about 21 and a half million in 24-25, and those grow to 25 million in 25-26 as we uh, fully implement those initiatives. So next slide. This just brings up our balancing plan again to remind you um, that in total, uh, we got to a little bit more than our initial uh, general fund reduction target in this proposal, uh, and then have more work to do on the contingency. So I'm going to bring um, CFO Jenny Louie back to talk a little bit more about next steps and how we're thinking about the contingency part of our proposal. Um, next slide, please. Um, and so uh, while we don't have specific proposals, um, we did want to be transparent about some of the areas we are looking at as we explore this next 5%. Um, as commissioners may recall from prior years, uh, we've not had to use this 5% contingency. The mayor's budget office is signaling that they will likely um, need us to um, submit proposals. And so we will be working with them closely um, in terms of the next steps. Um, and uh, but the areas that we are looking at um, are um, um, some cross uh, some cross city departmental uh, working groups that the mayor's office is actually convening. Uh, we are participating in conversations around food security, violence prevention, and response, as well as services to children and youth. And I think the idea behind this is that um, you know there's a lot of overlapping services um, between multiple city departments. Um, so is there a way? to consolidate and find some efficiencies um, in terms of how we deliver services. These conversations will continue on through the spring. Uh, in addition, uh, we will be looking um, at a similar prior year initiative that we have around um, reducing um, contracts that do not leverage um, uh, general uh, or do not leverage outside funding. Again, as you can see, the revenues are um, very important uh, to um, our financial stewardship, and you know it gets challenging at times uh, when we're looking at uh, reducing contracts um, that do that does significantly re leverage revenue. Um, and so this is an area that we will be exploring and looking at um, so that we're not in a situation where we have to cut two dollars um, to achieve uh, one dollar of general fund savings. Uh, we will also be looking at areas where um, it may be appropriate to contract out our existing services so we're able to maintain um, existing service levels um, without, uh, you know, but just delivered in a more cost efficient manner. 
Um, we will continue to look at our vacancy rate and look at our hiring and develop a plan um, and, a, and, a, and position authority, a proposed position authority for the upcoming two-year budget that actually will reflect on what we can accurately uh, uh, fill over the next two years. Um, and uh, we will, of course, continue to look at revenue um, while we've exhausted all of the known revenue options that we have currently. Um, you know, we are still waiting for information around uh, Medi-Cal certification for Laguna Honda. We have been silent on baseline revenues um, uh, for Laguna Honda until we get more clarity on its situation, as well as um, a pending state change to the distinct partners and uh, facilities supplemental that would affect um, all um, SNPs uh, for uh, local health departments um, and information is um, hoped for, was actually hoped for now, and we are hoping for an update um, possibly this spring, um, and um, that would also, uh, that and that could be factored into our balancing plan. Um, and then uh, last but not least, uh, just looking um, at Medi-Cal services, um, Medi-Cal and, and under Cal-AIM, um, there is an expected expansion in the second year of the budget, um, particularly around justice-involved populations and jail health services. And we would look um, to see if there's any opportunity um, to leverage revenue um, for a jail health uh, uh, for services um, uh, for uh, patients uh, within our jails um, and related to um, uh, that that uh, that those reentry services that are being focused on um, within the state. There's. Um, been not a lot of, there's some initial detail, but not quite enough for us to hang our hat on, um, and we need to understand the requirements of it, and so we are not bringing forward that proposal at this time. Next slide, please. Um, in addition to those general fund savings ideas, uh, we will continue to work with the mayor's office on two uh, funds that are not general fund, um, but Proposition C, our city, our home, um, similar to prior years, we will be working with them throughout the spring. Uh, we are seeing persistent shortfalls in those revenues um, and uh, we'll work with them to um, sustain a long-term plan um, for, our, for our current proposed spending that we have. Um, in addition, the opioid settlement funds, which are new um, for this current year, um, there's an opportunity to um, review um, the proposed spending plan um, that we have now and see if there are any opportunities to um, to improve um, or adjust the plan uh, for, for our current needs. Um, next slide, please. Um, and then in terms of next steps, again, uh, February 21st, we'll be submitting to the commissioner, to, to the controller and mayor's office. Um, and then March through May, we're gonna to continue to collaborate on those citywide savings and we will develop additional detail and contingency reduction proposals. We will work with the mayor's office um, on these proposals and um, keep the commission updated in terms of timing for next steps. Um, and then um, at June, the mayor's, uh, the mayor's uh, proposed budget will go to the board for consideration and approval in June and July. So with that, that concludes our presentation. We are happy to answer any questions um, the commissioners may have. Well, thank you much, so much for the presentation and again for the extensive memo that uh, Deputy Finance Officer Gibbs did. It's really so helpful for us to read and better understand all of these very complex elements. We have several individuals here who want to make public comment on this item and I have your card. So what I'll do is, is call you up and we really appreciate you being here. We, we really want to hear from um, our fellow San Franciscans. So I'll call your name and then as uh, Secretary Moore would say, you have three minutes and he'll be uh, watching the clock. So 
I'll start with Stephen Spano, and I apologize if I mispronounce uh, your, your name, representing ALRP. Welcome. Good afternoon, Commissioners. How are you? My name is Stephen Spano, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-P-A-N-O. I'm an attorney at the AIDS Legal Referral Panel. Uh, I'm a, a, a voter in San Francisco since 2008, and I've been living with HIV since 2012. Uh, you know, I had a whole thing prepared, but I'm like particularly um, uh, unnerved by the the thought of cutting to CDOs who receive general funding. You know, back in like 2000, 2008, sorry, 2007, 2008, the Ryan White Care Act cut, uh, made massive cuts to, to their funding to the city. And we've been really good at backfilling that money using general funds. Um, and a lot of that going to CBOs like mine and all my colleagues. Uh, and I have to say that sometimes it feels like we are holding the city together with our two hands. Um, a cut to that would be a cut to the bone. Um, so um, I guess I'll start by just quickly saying, you know, 40 years ago, uh, most of my queer ancestors were killed off. Um, we still go to 18th and Castro to see uh, the memorials of folks that uh, are still being killed by this virus. It looks very different than it did uh, 40 years ago, but it looks like chronic houselessness, untreated trauma and mental illness. Uh, and it looks like overdose deaths, which now are much higher than COVID deaths in the city. Um, we simply cannot afford to make cuts to our vital programs, harm reduction programs, um, and mental health programs, and the very essential services that the city funds. Um, I urge you to not make cuts to these essential services. Thank you. Thank you very much. The next person is Megan Green, uh, SFDPH and SEIU 1021. Hi there. I am a nurse at San Francisco General. My name is Megan Green. Um, I work on the original HIV AIDS unit. It's also the inpatient oncology unit. Um, I just wanted to give you guys some of my numbers. Um, on my unit alone this year, from February 22nd until um, October, we missed 4,795 rest breaks. We missed 511 meal breaks. Uh, there were 2,000 missed breaks in labor and delivery. We filed a grievance. We went to arbitration. Every single one of those uh, FTE were filled, or if they weren't filled, they were backfilled with travelers, and people were still missing breaks. No new FTE were added to the budget. Three is the number of months that my department, Med Surge, has been under the budgeted number of beds. 169 million seven hundred forty-eight thousand seventy-four dollars is how much money has already been used in registry staff. And that money was supposed to last until next summer. $100 million is the amount that they asked for the Civil Service Commission for more registry. Um, I was working last Christmas with a nurse who was netting what I make in six shifts. She was working two. And then, of course, they take that money and they go back to their city and they invest it in their city. <clears throat> um, we won two wrongful terminations this year. So those people are going to get paid back. We did a request for information for bargaining that's coming up this spring. 
our staff did 356,019.9 hours of overtime. Uh, I am a 0.9 employee. I work 1,872 hours a year. If you take that 356, that's 190 people. We did just in overtime. Um, so I'm just not sure where these cuts come from. It's very concerning. We make 12 to 18% less by the city's own data than other neighboring hospitals. We can't retain staff. It costs $88,000 to train a new grad. We hire tons of new grads. They get their training and then they go to UC and they go to Kaiser and they go to Sutter. And my tax dollars and everyone's tax dollars goes to train those nurses at that hospital. So these are just some things I want people to think about. And also with the sheriffs, um, I went to 7B, which is the inpatient psych unit. Nine of their staff members were assaulted in one day, including their manager. She's still out on leave. Um, so I think it's really important to think long and hard about cutting the sheriffs. Um, I've pulled the emergency button more times than I've called 911 at my house. So um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Secretary Moritz reminded me that we should probably have three people come at once um, so we can um, have more time for comment. So the next three people will be Alicia uh, Leilani, Paul Aguilar, and David Pyle. So if the three of you want to come up, we'll go one, two, three, and we'll start with uh, Alicia. My name is Alicia Leilani, and I've been working in public health for five years now, and I now work at the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. I have been here long enough to see what these programs and these resources do for the community. We are already working with underserved community and compromised people, and to cut these programs can cut their connections with one another, can alter their mental health, and can make their situations even harder than it has to be. And... Cutting these programs doesn't only affect the people who are living with HIV, but it can affect the people working with them as well. Cutting these programs would, and cutting the budget would mean not allowing jobs, which means more people struggling and adds to the homeless population, as well as the struggle with mental health and drug use and things of that nature in the city. I think a lot of us know how difficult it is to um, survive in the Bay Area, let alone thrive and be successful. So to cut these budgets would only make a negative impact. And, um, uh, I don't really, sorry, this is my first time doing this. I, I don't really have a lot to say. I'm just very emotional about how many people will be affected. As someone that's worked with them for so long, I see how grateful they are and how much joy the community has with these programs and I'm just asking please don't please do not cut this budget for the people of San Francisco thank you thank you um Mr. Aguilar from Marty's Marty's place good afternoon commissioners director Colfax my name is Paul Aguilar P-A-U-L-A-G-U-I-L-A-R I'm a fourth generation native San Franciscan, a community advocate and activist, and somebody who's been living with HIV and aging with it since 1988. 
and I'm here to advocate for mental health services for long-term survivors of HIV and AIDS. A while ago, I found myself in need of services, of therapy. The love of my life had just ended his own life with a self-induced fentanyl overdose. A week later, I found my father dead from a heart attack on his bedroom floor. And shortly after that, I found myself homeless. <clears throat> that triggered the compounded grief of all the loss of life that I've experienced since AIDS came on the scene two weeks before my 18th birthday in 1981. And even though it took six months to actually sit face to face with a therapist, what got me through that waiting period was the programs from the organizations that are funded to fight the isolation that is experienced by long-term survivors. The isolation that's a result of losing our entire social circles over and over and over again. Cutting any funding to these mental health services or these social support programs is a disservice to the HIV community and would only serve to traumatize an already traumatized community. I'd also like to point out that cutting any HIV service programs or prevention programs in the city will negatively impact the city's ability to meet its pledge of getting to zero new infections by the end of 2025. I thank you for your time. I yield the rest of my time. Thank you, Mr. Pyle from Han Auction. Good afternoon. My name is David Pyle. Um, I have lived in this city for, geez, over 30 years. I was here in the 80s when uh, AIDS was scary and people died. A lot of people died. A lot of my friends and family died. <clears throat> Since then, we've come a long way with medications. You know, that keep people, prevents people from becoming um, HIV positive or keeps people healthy uh, who have contracted AIDS, keeps them healthy and live a relatively normal life. Uh, a budget cut, I just can't imagine how that even will affect this group. Like, to me, it's like saying 10% you know, people, let's say whatever the budget decrease is, is that the amount of people that won't get the services that they need? Um, so I'm just here to ask, please don't do that. Thank you. Th thank you. So the next three will be Laura Thomas, uh, Layla Gafari, and Robert Mitchell. And we'll start with Laura Thomas. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Laura Thomas. I'm the Senior Director of HIV and Harm Reduction Policy at the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Um, and first of all, I want to say uh, uh, thank you um, for all of the work that this department has done, um, pushing, uh, continuing to push for evidence-based approaches in the face of the overdose crisis that we're seeing ourselves in the midst of now. Um, this is a public a significant public health crisis, and we need to be using all of our public health tools to address it. And in particular, um, this was one of the items that was mentioned in the presentation, the opioid settlement funds. Um, there's a, you know, it's millions of dollars coming into the state of California, coming into the city and county of San Francisco. There's not, however, been any transparency or community input 
around how that money gets spent. And I would strongly encourage this commission and health department leadership to really look at how that, those funds are being spent and to really advocate that those dollars are spent on the things that we know can be effective at addressing the impacts of the opioid crisis, at uh, preventing overdose um, and encouraging access to behavioral health services. We know collectively um, this department has an enormous amount of wisdom and expertise in knowing what works and knowing what gets people into treatment, what keeps people in treatment and what, can, what effective accessible treatment consists of. And in the face of enormous amount of stigma and misinformation in this city, in this country, um, about the realities of people who use drugs, about what helps people get into treatment, what helps people achieve and maintain recovery. I encourage this health department to continue to lift up the science, the evidence, as well as the compassion, um, and continue to insist on the things that we know work. That includes things like overdose prevention centers, that includes um, expanding methadone access in particular. The state just changed the regulations and is providing funding to do more mobile methadone. We need to be taking advantage of all of these things because that's what works. So um, thank you uh, again, um, commissioners um, and Dr. Colfax. All right, Layla Gafari. Hi there. I, my name is Layla and I've prepared a brief statement for all of you that I'd like to read. I'm here to implore this commission to avoid cutting vital public health funding to community organizations that provide essential services to San Franciscans. We are coming out of an unprecedented global pandemic which has had psychological and physiological effects on our citizens. Cutting back the services many of our residents rely on at a time when many are living in or on the cusp of poverty would do significant harm to our city. I have worked in the nonprofit and health sector for over 10 years now and have seen the significant shift in livelihood when individuals have access to city funded programs. Speaking here today, I'm reminded of one of my clients, pseudonym Mike, who was experiencing homelessness and had contracted hepatitis C. Through DPH funded programs, he was able to connect with services and be cured of hep C and get connected to primary care. He found social support, re-enrolled in case management, and is now happily on the pathway to housing. Individuals like Mike, not only like the rest of us, deserve to lead healthy, full lives. But when someone is cured of an STI, when someone is connected to medical care, when someone receives mental health or social support, these are long-term costs that the city averts in terms of chronic medical conditions and long-term hospital care. We as a city pride ourselves on our progressive history and we should continue to honor that legacy by bolstering programs that support our residents, not stripping away those lifelines. And also I wanna just say that many of the members who have spoken here today are people that I admire very deeply who are long-term survivors of HIV. And our city has a significant history of supporting those both in terms of mental health and physical health. And it's a legacy that I'd like to see continued. So I thank you all for your time today. Thank you. Um, Robert Mitchell. Good afternoon. My name is Robert Mitchell. Uh, I represent the group HAN, uh, which is a grassroots group that uh, fights the effects of HIV. Their, their mission is to bring the epidemic to an end. And also, we're under the umbrella of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. And I think you know the very good work that we attempt to do and are actually effective in doing, if I may say so. 
I'm just a volunteer. I don't have any particular reports or statistics to share, but I can tell you that uh, people in crisis need all of the support that they can get. Uh, when we take a look at one example, uh, I believe the number is something like 806 people that died last year as a result of overdoses or various types of drugs. Would have probably been more had it not been for the efforts of people to come together and to be trained and to have the supplies and the services available to administer Narcan. Uh, another example is the accomplishments made in uh, cutting down the transmission of HIV. It's very well along, but we're not where we should be. It's still at epidemic proportions. And if we don't do more, it will continue to stay there. And our efforts to get to zero can be pushed out even further if we ever get there. So my suggestion and my hope, I actually shudder to think that services could be cut that would affect just these two items, harm reduction and uh, the HIV in particular. So I just wanted to stress that uh, the concerted efforts, including those of yours, that I very much appreciate what you've done. So your efforts, the efforts of the nonprofits in the community, uh, the different churches, the different individuals that are willing to get out there and give them their time and their services and, and to volunteer to be on the ground to actually administer Narcan, for example. This makes a huge difference. And if it's cut, I'm afraid that we'll see more transmissions. We'll see more lives lost. We don't want to see that. And I, I feel that if you, you know, just take a look inside. Just look at this example. Communicable diseases spread far and wide, and you never know how far. But if it's allowed to wake up again, it might affect any of us. It will affect. And even if it doesn't affect you individually, if it goes on in the community, I'm sure we all bear the brunt of that. So I just wanted to make that, you know, make my statement known as a community uh, person. And uh, I myself have benefited from these services. And I hope to continue to help others to do the same with your effort. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Our next three are Jesse Inouye, David uh, Counts, and Andy Stone. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Jessica Inoue. I'm a field representative with SEIU 10 to 1, and I have the privilege of representing our approximately 1,200 members that work at Laguna Hospital. They're registered nurses and nursing assistants and um, EVS and food service workers and do just about every job um, in the hospital. Um, and as the, as the city and the Department of Public Health are looking at these really difficult budget decisions, I think the thing that I wanted to, to raise today and bring to your attention and ask really for your attention and scrutiny on is the use of, uh, of contracting out of, um, with temp agencies and, and traveling, uh, traveling staffing agencies um, because we really believe and see that um, that the department is over relying on these kinds of services. And, and what that means is that one is that those good 
city jobs don't go to the workers in our communities and instead are going to, you know, travelers and for temp, temp jobs instead of permanent stable um, positions with the city. It impacts patient care um, because there's a lack of continuity of care. Instead of using permanent in-house staff that know the residents, know the patients, know the providers, all of that, the department uses, um, uses temporary staff who are only here um, for uh, on short-term contracts. And they're often doing work that is not short-term work. It's permanent, it's permanent work. Um, I, have the, I have the privilege of greeting all of the new hires um, at their employee orientation when they start at Laguna Honda. And a lot of them tell me that they first were hired as a, a, through the temp agency or as travelers, um, as they sometimes refer to themselves. Um, and um, because that was the first call that they got and that was the first opportunity to work. And then months later, maybe if they're lucky, they get a call from the city to get a temporary position or hopefully, ideally, a permanent civil service position with the city. But this is an inefficient way for the city to be recruiting and hiring staff. Um, we're paying a middleman agency instead of just having people start and get their foot in the door um, as permanent civil service workers. Um, and I, I just I have one example also that I can share from Laguna Honda that's specific. And this is in the radiology department where the, the hospital has recently made the decision to. OK, um, all right. Thank you for your time. Thank you, uh, Mr. Kentz. You're always welcome to submit written public comment if you want to finish your statement. Um, Hi, good afternoon, health commissioners. My name is Andy, and I'm a queer San Francisco resident. Uh, and I'm also, uh, I work with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and I'm part of the HIV Advocacy Network. Um, I'm here today because I wanted to share why it's so critical to maintain funding for organizations supporting people living with HIV and at risk of HIV right now, um, given the ongoing challenges the community is facing. I want to specifically mention that this was something that was noted earlier as a critical component in our strategy to address emerging health crises, including MPOX and the on ongoing overdose crisis. These community organizations are essential parts of our public health infrastructure and in reaching some of the most vulnerable members of the community. Long-term HIV survivors in San Francisco are facing serious mental health challenges, including complex PTSD from the outbreak of the HIV crisis and subsequent emerging pandemics, including most recently COVID and MPOX that have re-triggered uh, that fear that they experienced at the onset of the HIV HIV crisis. Um, there's also issues associated with increasing social isolation as they age and complex substance use issues as people are trying to self-medicate and deal with the trauma and complex mental health challenges that they face. Uh, this mental health crisis manifests in continued high rates of suicides, mental disorders, and a shocking increase in overdose deaths within our community. Similarly there, similarly, there are many folks still arriving at hospitals with advanced HIV AIDS and even dying from AIDS-related uh, complications, including particularly unhoused folks and folks for whom it's incredibly challenging to access healthcare. This is tragic given that we have truly effective medications to prevent and to treat HIV. 
The impacts of cutting funding to services and programs for organizations serving our communities, including funding for social support groups, mental health, and substance use counseling can be devastating. For far too many in our communities, this is a life or death issue. So I want to elevate this a little bit, and you've heard this from folks in our community, right? These aren't just numbers on a page that we're talking about cutting funding or organizations. These are people with real lives and who face real challenges around accessing critical health care services. Without the funding and uh, th th these organizations that serve these community members aren't able to actually access health care in many times. And the, compli the complications, the impacts, the consequences of that are really dire and severe for far too many. We need your support uh, to ensure communities are able to continue to access life-saving services. We urge you to maintain funding for these critical HIV services and programs because these are literally life or death issues for far too many. Um, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you. David Counts. Thank you. Hi, my name is David Hartley Counts. Uh, I've lived in Tin Lauren for 30 years. Uh, I'm a, have been a user of drugs. I started with crack and I gravitated towards meth. Um, I utilize public health programs, uh, both in terms of to deal with these issues, both in terms of uh, mental health and harm reduction. And I am a survivor of uh, suicidal ideation uh, and of drug use uh, based uh, that is founded on public service and the Department of Public Health uh, programs. So that's my experience. I also, as a private citizen, uh, walk the Tenderloin. I hand out harm reduction supplies as well as wound care supplies. We forget about that. Uh, and what I want to echo is that, uh, oh, and I also wanted to thank you up front for what you did uh, in terms of advocating the policies you advocated for uh, during the COVID crisis. I, I'm privy to some of the behind the scenes uh, things that you had to deal with and the political pushback that you had to deal with with those initial policies. But you stood firm and on unpopular policies and you saved lives. I think that this is another time where I would hope that you would stand firm and reject any cost cuts towards harm reduction policies, mental health policies, any policies that uh, any funding that uh, goes to public health, uh, to these community fundings, because we're on the boots on the ground, right? And we know we're not just numbers. We're not here to spew numbers, but we know, and I know you know. So dollars not going in one place and, and the areas that we're advocating for means lies. And one other thing I want to leave you with is that if this was about white bros in the marina, we probably wouldn't be having the discussion. But this is about the homeless, the unpowerless. This is about people of color. I was reminded about this when I was walking down the street on Ellis before I came here, uh, where there was a black gentleman that was ODing. And fortunately, there was uh, people who are helped by funding from the Department of Public Health that were there present advocating for this man, applying Narcan, and getting to the point where he's able to breathe on himself. So take away dollars from the programs that affect this kind of circumstances, and that man does not survive. So that's what we're looking at. And I want to thank you for your consideration so much. Thank you for having this hearing. Thank you. So the next three are Charlie Wilson, Matt Foreman, and oh, I'm sorry, Ohar Fall.
afternoon, Director Colfax and the Commission. Thank you very much for allowing this public time. I will be very brief. I will not be filibustering like the U.S. Senate. <laughs> I just want to first and foremost say that I sat here today thinking about the many people that I have had the honor of serving in community as I've been in public health nonprofit for 33 years next month. And I just wanted to point out a few things that I know that you all are very clear about in, in your function and your duties. When I think of potential cuts, I'm concerned about the emotional, practical, and financial support and whole person care. San Francisco, as you know, the city by the, by the bay, the city of St. Francis has been a city that has provided transformative service, has been a city of protests so that these very programs exist today. And I know you all know the history and I thank you for your service, but it cannot be said enough. And I'm so appreciative of the previous speakers that have spoken about the tax on mental health, transformational services that might be gone. Continuity, continuity of care, that is, a key function here. And as a commission and as a director, Mr. Colfax, I know that you are once again in a tough fiscal policy terrain. I am, I'm very, I don't envy you in this context at all. But I also feel it as my duty as a citizen and as someone who cares about this community that you will take the time to think about the people who would be affected by these. And I won't assume that you may know, have had, or can continue to have people in your lives who have been affected by HIV and other chronic issues. I just simply ask that today, that you, as the human beings that you are, who happen to serve in this policy-making body and directing the department, I just ask that you all will take the time to figure out how we can avoid these drastic cuts. It's like a car that needs repair. If you keep, if you make the severe cuts, for example, if you keep ignoring the maintenance, it's gonna cost a lot more, it might even cost you a new car to take care of that. And I think that the city deserves your leadership, your care, and your stewardship that you've ably done throughout the COVID crisis. And lastly, I'll just say that standing here today, I think back to the administration of Mayor Art Agnos. So this is not, this for me is not about a job. This is about a community Sorry, that your, I care about. Thank your you. time is up. Yep, thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, Matt Foreman. Uh, hi, good afternoon, commissioners, Dr. Director. Uh, I'm the new executive director of AIDS Legal Referral Panel. And I first wanna start by saying thank you and your predecessors. Uh, for the leadership that this department has shown over so many decades in confronting so many different public health challenges, including HIV and AIDS. Uh, and I also want to lift up the fact that you have been a very evidence-based uh, agency, commission, in looking at uh, what works and what doesn't based on evidence. And I also want to express my sympathies to everyone who works in management at the department for the pain that I know you're going through and planning these cuts because it is pain. I just wanna say from an evidence-based perspective, the San Francisco model of dealing with HIV 
and AIDS is a worldwide success. We are far ahead on every single metric there is that you can measure HIV prevention, treatment, care, you name it. We are so far ahead of any of our sister cities, certainly far ahead of the rest of the world. And it is a crown jewel in our city. And it's not a well-funded crown jewel, like it sounds, but it is a crown jewel. And I'm urging you that when you have to make these hard decisions, that you look at the evidence and sustain this crown jewel. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Fall. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Umar Fall, and I'm the SEIU San Francisco Field Director. Uh, listening at your budget presentation, I noticed three things. Uh, one of those three things that I noticed is that your budget reduction actually targets staffing, uh, reducing staffing, uh, despite the high rate of vacancy and to provide most of those much needed uh, services and also cutting the critical services as you heard by some members here. Uh, those positions are not vacant because there's a lack of candidate. It's the hiring process that is slow. It takes too long for the city to hire people. So this is why you cannot hire anyone. But to focus solely on staffing is a bandit solution. And if you look at the second uh, point that I'm gonna make is your contracting our services, they're high. They are not, they're very expensive and they affect union work and weakens our labor movement. Actually, it will affect the services being provided to the communities. The last point I wanna make on your budget projection, they are very conservative. In my opinion, they are pessimistic and kind of paint a, a doomsday in San Francisco. There's no brighter future for San Francisco with those budget projections. Uh, in conclusion, I would like to say, in order to make the future brighter for San Francisco, you need to address staffing because the staff, as you heard from Megan, they are very overworked. They're burned out. We need to make an effort to hire them rather than use contracting out, which is a bandit solution. If you look at your budget uh, fiscal year 2025-26, those costs have doubled. Contractors don't care about services. Contractors don't care about communities. If you do that, it's just a bandit solution. We need more people that are invested in San Francisco rather than just hiring contractors. I receive 10, 15 public service contracts a day. They're from DPH. Why? Hire to do that. So in conclusion, I would like you to consider this. Keep staffing, fill those vacancies to reduce the workload and burnout. Reduce the contract and our services because if you look at your budget, it's double in fiscal year 25-26. That doesn't make any sense. If you, the budget, everybody's crying uh, wolf uh, out here. So let's not use the bandage solution to let people know that we're doing something. There are critical services being cut. You heard from the community. Let's address this by hiring people and not rely solely on the bandage solution of hiring contractors and make the city's costs go higher and higher because they're not reducing their, their, their costs. They're not reducing what they're charging you. Thank you. That was the last paper I had. Is there anyone in the room that wishes to testify that I missed? Is there anyone on the public comment line? Yes, we've got two hands. And again, thank you all for your comments. 
Um, folks on the line, I want to remind you that you had to have received an accommodation from me by yesterday at noon in order to participate remotely. So I'm going to ask you for the two letter code that I've given the two people who did receive accommodations. A caller, are you there? Yes, uh, this is uh, Dr. Uh, Paul, Teresa Palmer. Can you hear me? Yes, Dr. Palmer. Yes, Dr. Palmer, please begin. Yeah, I um, wanted to say two things. I, I support Jessica in new way at, at, of 1021. A nursing home residents need staff continuity of care. Contract, contracting out for temporary workers instead of finding full, fully funding staff will result in ongoing problems at Laguna Honda and may lead to loss of uh, certification again or never getting it back. The people of San Francisco cannot afford staff shortages at Laguna Honda and need permanent staff to get to know the patients and the complex rules for nursing home patients. Also, many patients at Laguna Honda who do not need nursing home care are not being cannot be safely discharged to the community because adequate care with wraparound services is not available. And so these other types of care also need to be fully funded or Laguna Honda cannot be um, used in the most efficient way for the patients that it serves the best. And so I don't see a defunding um, staff and services for the Department of Public Health at all. And any discussion of it is really very frightening. Thank you. Thank you. And there's one more. Caller, please let us know that you're there and let us know your code, your two-letter code. I do not have a code. I do not need a medical accommodation, but I could not be there physically today. Thank you very much. Right. No one is able to make, uh, to participate in remote public comment unless they've received accommodation. So that's the last remote public comment. Well, first of all, thank you all for being here and for coming forward with your really informative and, and passionate uh, comments. And also, particularly for those of you who've shared your, your personal stories and experiences, they are moving, they're important, and they need to be part of the public record. So we are really appreciative. And I hope you'll let those who've already left know that it really means a lot that you've been here and that we've been able to hear from you. So we'll now move to any commissioner questions or comments about the budget presentation. Commissioner Gerardo. I just, I just want to thank you for the great memo because I always read that first before the presentation um, because it really uh, does help us understand what is behind it. So I highly encourage to continue that practice that um, uh, Ms. Louie, you've always done as well. And it is most helpful in these times of uh, concern um, that your explanation is extremely helpful. So thank you very much and please continue. And um, Secretary Morowitz, can you tell people where they can find the memo on the on our website or among the minutes, just in case people do want more information? Oh, sure. Uh, number one, the memo is outside for those of you who haven't gotten it. And then those watching um, now or in the future, um, the Health Commission page can be found on sfdph.org, www.sfdph.org. And if you go to the bottom of the page, the Health Commission um, is a little under tag, and you can go there, and, and then you can see the um, the contents of this meeting. 
Yeah, it's under our agenda for this meeting if you're interested in more granular information. Uh, Commissioner Christian. Thank you. Uh, I just want to echo Commissioner Gerardo's thanks uh, to the our budget people for making the uh, issues very clear to us and for naming them and where the cuts are being proposed and what uh, and helps us to uh, helps to make it really visible and for us to understand what those cuts will mean. Uh, not just that we're getting rid of a million dollars from this department and that. So it's incredibly important for you to continue to do that. And I thank you. And it really does um, make it possible for us to do our work. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you. Um, I, I want to also um, uh, endorse the comments made by uh, my fellow commissioners and to thank you uh, uh, for um, the presentation, for the work that's been done. I mean, I, I think this is probably the most difficult budget that I've seen uh, now and coming since I've been on the commission. Uh, so I don't want to understate at all, um, you know, the appreciation that I have for the work that had to go into this, particularly at a time of sort of some change going on in the department in critical positions as well, and then coming off the difficult uh, issues with Laguna Honda and some other things that have, we all know have recently um, uh, hurt us and really caused us to make use of every single penny uh, that we have coming to us, both from our general fund as well as leveraging other sources of funding. Um, and I know that the uh, the additional contingency budget is going to uh, cause a lot of pain uh, uh, to things that uh, have been both well established uh, as well as the things that we want to innovate around and aspire to uh, in order to keep San Francisco as model, uh, a place for its citizenry that uh, has such evidence needs. I do encourage uh, you know, all those involved to listen to the testimony that was provided today and uh, by those who were able to come, as well as those that we all know exist uh, uh, in our neighborhoods and throughout the city that have you know, same issues. and, and more dire ones that weren't able to come and aren't able to come and testify. Uh, and you know, to the extent that there's anything that the commission can do uh, to assist in bringing more of those voices and to really sort of help in some of the decisions that, that have to be made, uh, you know, th that's our job. Uh, and so we really wanna be able to provide that uh, for you as well as for those in San Francisco. Again, as a native San Franciscan, uh, I've seen a lot. Uh, of uh, all of the things that the city has had to go through uh, in the uh, six plus decades uh, that I've been here. Uh, so I just, um, I, I think, um, um, you know, all of the tricks and tips uh, uh, that you've employed um, are probably going to be, uh, we're gonna need more of those. Uh, and again, support for all of those that have, uh, uh, that have come here today and, who, and those that you represent. Um, um, really, I mean, it does hit home and it hits the heart. So thank you very much. All right. Uh, Commissioner Chow also has his hand up. Yes, thank you. And I also want to echo my fellow commissioners' uh, gratitude for the- Could you speak up, Commissioner Chow? Do you mind speaking up? You're, you're kind of faint. Oh, okay. I'll, let, let me put the volume back up there. How's that? Is that better? Much better, sir. Yes, much better. Okay, thank you. Um, I wanted to echo uh, my uh, fellow commissioners uh, gratitude to the department and uh, to uh, Ms. Louie and Ms. Gibbs for 
the uh, very fine work in uh, this very difficult uh, situation in which uh, uh, to be able to come up with a proposal that has really minimal uh, service cuts, to be able to be innovative, uh, to uh, be able to actually uh, come almost uh, unscathed with uh, the uh, ability to even under the expenditure proposals really make it so that they actually have a, a meaning and uh, not only uh, are there uh, cost savings, but there are so, uh, improvements in the services uh, uh, potentially uh, by uh, actually, for example, merging the administrative costs in with the uh, uh, grants themselves and, and, and other ways in which uh, we've been able to try to balance this budget without the uh, drastic uh, uh, cuts that uh, previously we've had to actually do. Uh, there is no question that uh, if we are needing to uh, do our five, uh, additional 5% contingency, that um, everyone will need to figure what is most essential, even in their own uh, community organizations, because uh, there is a limit to what we all have to be able to do. And uh, I think that that is where our department is going to hopefully be working with our uh, key players, all of those who deliver these very uh, important services. And uh, we uh, would uh, be a very uh, sympathetic as uh, uh, our uh, President uh, has uh, indicated to uh, understand its impact. Uh, unfortunately, uh, if the city uh, revenues continue to be in the trend that showing, uh, there will need to be some way in which all of us, uh, including our partners, work to be sure that we can uh, minimize the impacts upon the uh, public uh, health of our city. So uh, I again want to commend the department for coming up with this uh, first budget. No community or uh, 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 public health service cuts and uh, uh, look forward to the fact that they will be working with our partners in order to uh, make the best sense out of what might be a very difficult task. So thank you very much. Thank you. And Director Colfax has a comment. Thank you, President Green. I just want to uh, thank Jenny Louie and, and Emily Gibbs with regard to preparing this budget. This is grueling work um, and they did an amazing job. It's always challenging to come up with reductions. It's easier to come up with ideas about how to expand. Um, so I think it's it's just really incumbent that we acknowledge the work that they did to minimize um, these reductions on the health of the community, um, especially the communities most vulnerable to poor health outcomes. I wanna thank the commission uh, for their support and comments and also uh, thank the uh, public speakers for what you said today and assure them that you are heard by the department. Thank you. Thank you very much. We then should entertain a motion to approve the presented budget. Is there a motion to do so? I so move. And a second? A second. Elder will call vote. Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Chung? 
Yes. Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Christian? Yes. And Commissioner Dorado? Yes. All right, the budget is passed. Yeah, and thank you all so much. The comments that have already been made are so eloquent and, and uh, to the point, I really appreciate all you've done. Thank you. And thank you all for being here. The next item is the director's report. So Director Colfax. Good afternoon, Commissioners Grant Colfax. Director of Health with the director's report, which I will go through fairly quickly. I did want to just provide a verbal update with regard to COVID isolation and quarantine guidance. Um, on January 9th, the California Department of Public Health updated its COVID-19 isolation guidance for the general public. The new guidance moves from a minimum five-day isolation to isolating until fever-free for 24 hours without using fever-reducing medication and symptoms are mild and improving. improving. Isolation guidance for healthcare settings remains unchanged. The department's guidance remains in alignment with the California Department of Public Health. Non-healthcare congregate settings at higher risk for COVID-19 transmission and outbreaks may continue to implement additional requirements that are more protective than the state's new guidance for the general public. And we have the updates on our COVID uh, webpage as well. In terms of the written report, just some areas to highlight. I'm delighted to announce the appointment of Dr. Blake Gregory to the position of Director of Primary Care for the San Francisco Health Network. Um, this was effective January 6, 2024. In her new position, Dr. Gregory will provide executive leadership over our 14 primary health care centers and all associated primary care programs. She will supervise and support the eight-member primary care leadership team, oversee dental services, nutrition services, and provide matrix oversight of primary care pharmacist services. And you can um, see in the report uh, that uh, Dr. Gregory is well qualified to assume this position. We're just delighted to have her in this leadership position. I also wanted to um, talk briefly about the SB 43 implementation in San Francisco. So on January 1st, 2024, Senate Bill 43, which modernizes California's conservatorship laws for the first time in more than 50 years, went into effect. The law updates the definition for those eligible for conservatorship to include those who live with severe substance use disorder and those who are unable to provide for their own personal safety or necessary medical care. To prepare for the new law, Mayor London Breed issued an executive director in October of last year to form an executive steering committee co-chaired by the Department of Public Health and the Department of Disability and Aging Services to coordinate the bill's implementation. As part of implementation efforts, DPH and the Department of Disability and Aging have provided new trainings for city staff and healthcare professionals. And as of February 1st, DPH has trained over 1,000 staff on the new law and how to use how to utilize the new law when assessing for involuntary psychiatric hold, developed new metrics to track implementation, and created new workflows to improve coordination among agencies to better support individuals when conservatorship may be appropriate. Next item with regard to the Laguna uh, Honda update, Laguna Honda Hospital update. Uh, Laguna Honda Hospital submitted plans of correction for the CMS recertification Medicare survey. Um, the fire life safety portion was submitted on Saturday, Jan January 13th, and the health monitoring portion was submitted on Wednesday, Jan January 17th. And again, this is uh, for Medicare recertification. 
at this time, Laguna Honda awaits full approval and validation of the plans of correction, and then a determination from CMS regarding recertification into the program. As President Green mentioned at the um, top of, at the beginning of the meeting, DPH continues to celebrate um, Black History Month. We kicked off the Black History, Black History Month with our uplifting Black Health Celebration for staff at the Southeast Community Center on February 1st. The event remarks from Jonathan, the, the event included remarks from John, Dr. Jonathan Butler, Associate Director of the UCSF Black Health Initiative, Missouri Key Screen, Executive Director of Community Awareness, resource entity and myself. Attendees also viewed inspiring performance by an African dance group and a youth poet. This Black History Month, DPH continues to affirm its strong commitment to providing community-based health services and reducing barriers to accessing high quality health care. Another um, piece that I wanted to highlight was Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital hosted uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra, Last week, the secretary visited ZSFG and met with myself, Dr. Susan Ehrlich, Dr. Elena Fuentes-Affleck, and staff at the UCSF Pride Hall, which, as you know, is on uh, the ZSFG campus. We had uh, important uh, conversations with regard to reproductive health and what is happening across the nation. And I was really proud that the ZSFG uh, team were able to share uh, their firm commitment, leadership, and um, their stories around training providers to provide abortion healthcare and re other reproductive health services, not only at Zuckerberg San Francisco General, where we provide reproductive health services and abortion care to anyone, regardless of residency or ability to pay, but also that they um, continue to to support uh, the training of uh, professionals to do this work in other communities to prevent um, and to mitigate um, what we unfortunately are seeing across this country, which is uh, uh, deserts uh, of, of uh, where, where we essentially healthcare deserts where reproductive health and abortion services are no longer provided. Um, and then uh, with with regard to COVID, our additional COVID update, our seven-day rolling average of COVID test positivity is 8%, and there are 56 COVID people um, with COVID in our hospitals, and 28% of SF residents are fully up-to-date on their COVID vaccinations. Uh, and then you have the link to DPH in the news. So happy to answer any additional questions from the commissioners. Thank you. Well, thank you and welcome to Dr. Gregory and thank you so much for highlighting the reproductive services that are so incredible at the general, especially with um, the secretary. Is there any public comment? Well, I, I did want to acknowledge Dr. Gregory is wow, here. Wonderful. <laughs> so, um, and, and want to do- Well, direct welcome. <laughs> I just wanted to introduce myself and say hello. I'm, I'm Blake Gregory. So thrilled to be taking on this role as the director of primary care which I think is at a really important role. Primary care really sits at the heart of prevention and wellness for a significant swath of our most vulnerable people in our city. Um, and so there's so much that's amazing about primary care already and much to build and grow, um, especially in the areas of anti-racism and equity, access to care and building a culture of integration. So that's, that's really my vision for this work um, and so excited to hopefully get to work with you more closely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Gregory, and congratulations. Is there any public comment? Yes, and thank you for your patience, and no need to stay. Please feel free to go live your life. Um, <laughs> this is and, now her life. Oh, go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we have two uh, public comments here. 
uh, I mean, person online, please let us know that you're there. As of January 22nd, 2024, Laguna Honda Hospital patient census is down to 450 residents. Since its census of 710 residents on October 14, 2021, the current census of 450 people represents a 36.6% net change decrease of 260 residents from 710. The Health Commission was told on January 16th LHH still has 48 residents who no longer have skilled nursing facility level of care needs that LHH is still struggling to find appropriate and safe discharge locations to in the community. So, subtracting 48 from the January census of 450 essentially means LHH only has 402 people needing skilled nursing care, which translates to an overall 40.4% net decline from the 710 residents in October 2021. LHH staff must expedite resuming regular operations and must immediately work harder to resume admissions. When admissions do restart, they should not happen slowly. 57 LHH residents faced mandatory discharge and were transferred out of county in the summer of 2022 before mandatory evictions were halted on July 28, 2022. 12 of the 57 died from transfer trauma, leaving 45 former residents who may want to return to LHH. Where is the written outreach plan to contact those 45 residents who did not die and are prioritized for first admissions when admissions restart? After all, the 48 residents who no longer have skilled nursing needs are occupying beds of 45 evictees who may want to return to LHC. Item number Are the comments completed? All right, I'm taking that as a yes. Thank you very much, Mr. Manachal. And we have one more. Hi, caller. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, it's Dr. Palmer. Um, I wanted to ask, um, the people of San Francisco deserve a chance to get questions answered about Laguna Honda on the first and Thursday, first and third Tuesday health commission meetings as long until Laguna Honda is safe and full admissions are resumed. And so I would like these questions answered. How many of the 48 people waiting for safe discharge to the community as of mid-January have been discharged? And what and where are their placements? What is the time frame for Medicare recertification? We need to know as much as possible about CDPH and CMS approval of the plan of correction. Um, are there negotiations? ongoing. We need to know more. Is full resumption of admissions dependent on an internal sustainability transition plan? I heard it was being written. Please update us on this plan and the related time frame for resumption of admissions. Must those of us who need a nursing home bed at Laguna Honda wait indefinitely or suffer transfer out of county away from our friends and family? And finally, how will Laguna Honda reach out proactively to surviving skilled nursing evictees and their families to inform them that they are prioritized for readmission? Please advise us. Thank you. Thank you. That's the last public comment. 
And are there any commissioner questions or comments on the director's report? Mr. Christian. Thank you, Dr. Colfax, for your presentation. Uh, did, was the conversation with uh, Secretary Becerra uh, videoed or recorded? Is there, or are, are there comments that we could read to hear what the back and forth was and what he had to say? You know, that is a good question. And we will follow up with you about if it was recorded and provide the access if it's a public document. Thank you. And uh, I would imagine that it was recorded, but if it wasn't, could future um, engagements like this that bear on public health be recorded and made available to the public? Yeah, as we have resources available, we will certainly try to do that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I don't see any other, other questions or comments. So the next item is the Finance and Planning Committee update from Commissioner Chung. I need to take a deep breath and good afternoon. Commissioners, um, the Finance and Planning Committee um, met right before this commission meetings, and there were quite a few items that actually we we had to discuss about. You know, first of all, you know, like if you look at our monthly contract report for February, we are going to extract four contracts from the contract report, which um, includes the um, the study center, the synagogue. Um, Seneca and also two contracts from the Edgewood because there are some um, typos and some informations missing and we don't feel comfortable um, including them in the contract report for approval. Um, and, um, and then also the other things that I want to mention is, you know, with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation contract, there was an error in um, listing the amount in the um, total revenues, uh, DPH, uh, uh, the total DPH revenues. Um, it's um, under the ongoing years. Um, the amount under the total DPH revenues should read $1,560,000 and not $2,560. Uh, and um, so some of the other questions that we actually have discussed is, you know, to make sure that we got enough of the information to measure the unit of services. You know, we can't just say that, you know, this is the services without really breaking down how many units of hours goes to where and um, and so we really are imploring the um, the whole um, staff of like the the contracts, you know, to really um, be more diligent in in putting that into the report, so that we can like go ahead and move them forward without any incidences. Um, I believe that there were some additional questions that um, Commissioner Guillermo have with um, with um, Rich. Richmond um, multi service, um, Richmond multi, Richmond area multi services, um, and um, and I think that um, the are they going to send some, send us some yes yes so two things one um, I'd like just to, it's okay if I clarify something that you said yes. um, so the four contracts that were taken off the committee recommended that it be put onto the consent calendar for February 20th if they receive the information that they've requested so that might come to you 
And then I have, um, well, number one, the, the committee heard much more detail about the RAMS contract, the maternal health contract. And I believe they can speak for themselves, but they felt more comfortable moving it forward. I have budget information and also more narrative information. If you all would like to see that before you vote, it's right here. I, it was sent to me during the meeting and I can pass it out right now. So um, any public comment on this item? Uh, no, well, I want to add to the RAMS um, agreement. So um, in the agreement, it stated um, unduplicated clients as 32, but it was for the first initial years. And, you know, and for subsequent years, um, the, the like minimum would be 45 um, clients, you know, like, and so um, I think that that's helped clarify something that it's not just 32 clients. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, like they also account for the um, staffing hours so that it's clearer um, in terms of each year, you know, like what, what the, the first initial years a million and then um, subsequent years have 1.5 million and what it's actually covering. And I believe that um, we're going to get similar um, contract agreement from the other um, organizations that, um, that we have um, contracted with. And just another note on the RAMS contract, the maternal health, um, it made clear that they... Um, that 48 is the minimum number of, of clients they would see. And the, you have the list of services that the services are pretty complete wraparound and that they hope to see the folks not just for the pregnancy time period, but for several years as follow-up because there's such com, um, social determinants that impact these folks' health and, and, and they may have more children. So again, I'll let the commissioner speak to that if they want to talk any more about it. I think that this is pretty self-explanatory. Thank you. Any commissioner questions? Commissioner Jer no. I really appreciate the follow-up, but um, I've got to say, I'd still, I mean, I'm fine with this, but in these contracts, we still need more data information that is not there. So for example, in the fatherhood program, that is part of the wraparound services, how many people are they intending to serve? And I assume since this is over a few years, if in the future with some of these contracts for the CBOs with specific people, when they, at, that is written into the contract, that there is feedback to the, to DPH on how many were actually served, I, you know, if, for example, there were, yeah, targeting, you know, 48, but if they served 29 and they're going to ask for a renewal of the contract or whatever, I just think that in the future, with the data, that some way how we need to know as we had some outcome. I mean, who's there? And I know other Commissions require that. So that's all I'm concerned and, about when I'm looking at this. Commissioner Gerardo, like rest assured, I did advocate for that too. Okay. Um, and and I did mention that in case, you know, like all these, like because we actually have a, quite a few children and family services um, contract that I'm pretty sure that Commissioner Gerardo would love to hear that in the public 
um, Population Health Committee. And so, you know, like, so I, you know, like the hope is we can catch those data because, you know, like you okay. said, we have to measure outcomes and impact. Otherwise, we're just throwing money in the wind. Right. That's, that's my problem. So uh, thank you. Just to, I think one of the things that was clarified for me, uh, at least one of the things that was clarified for me in, in terms of this contract was, um, you, you know, it, it does seem like a lot of money for a, a, a relatively small targeted population, albeit it's a very difficult and, and vulnerable population. What was clarified for me was that a lot of the salaries are for to really be able to recruit the kind of clinical staff that's really required to provide the full range of wraparound services. Uh, and, you know, we've always talked about how hard it is to bring those people, particularly into community-based organizations, you know, uh, and so I think that that was an important clarification or important um, a piece of information in addition to um, the, the need to break down the number of hours that they, that was in the contract uh, form and to break that down into this range of services that now is much more descriptive uh, which otherwise, you know, it, it it does on the surface of it sound, you know, just a little out there. And so I think that's the kind of thing that that hopefully we'll be able to get in the future because it does sound, I mean, this is a population that needs the services that are being provided, but we really want to do it responsibly and with the kind of outcomes that are being aspired to. Uh, so um, so that was helpful. And, and I think that, um, you know, the, uh, it, it is the kind of thing that we want to, you know, hopefully we won't have to cut, but uh, we really do need to scrutinize. Yeah. Thank you. Mr. Christian. Yeah, thank you. And I was, I can testify, I was here and listened to both Commissioner uh, Guillermo and Commissioner Chung ask these questions and uh, elicit this data. And so thank you for this. Uh, so, you know, the commissioner said, hopefully in the future, why can't we just require it? Why, I mean, this is so necessary for us to do our job. I don't understand the hopefully. I was just being nice. So. I, know, I know, I know you were, and I'm, and I'm not going to be nice. I'm just going to say that, you know, it's difficult enough for someone who's not like, you know, a, an accountant to go through this, these papers anyway and understand them. But uh, we shouldn't have to ask these questions. They should be provided. It should be required Absolutely. in order to the, the, the yeah. contract to be considered at all. And, and you and we also have highlighted, you know, like why it was so easy to approve those UCSF regions contract because it's so clear what services they're providing and how many hours, you know, and so that every dollar was accounted for. And especially in this time, like when we have to really be mindful of, you know, the budget, you know, like we have the public to answer to and absolutely. So we're hoping that um, Mr. Morowitz would play the bad cop and make sure that we push for all these like um, additional, you know, like um, narratives in the reporting. It, I, I believe the person next to me has a little more authority than I do. To okay. help and, and so, you oh, know, uh. and I also want to recognize that, you know, I don't want to burden the CBOs with something that is not natural to them. So I would hope that the, the department in the city, whatever it is, would find a way to show them how to do what we need to do. What, what they need to do for us, because, I mean, it's just not, it's not acceptable to go forward like this. Commissioner Chow has his hand up, I think. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, and, and I uh, agree with all the comments that my fellow commissioners on, uh, on the committee uh, made and also uh, Commissioner Christians 
uh, observations. I, I wanted to add a perspective too that I think is missing sometimes when we are looking at uh, either new contracts or older uh, existing amendments and all. It, it's that uh, often we don't see the, con the uh, within what the uh, whole con uh, context is uh, for those contracts. This is a good example in which it actually comes from a solicitation or particularly out, out of the state for a project on equity-based maternal health, which was specifically to improve Black African-American maternal mental health. And uh, they gave us a special presentation on this to try to explain, but we didn't have that when we were looking at the documents. It turns out that this project is being split amongst four partners. And it would have been nice to have seen the uh, entire concept and where each of these programs come. And when the other ones come, I'm hoping we're not going to go through this, but have memory enough to, to realize that Rafiki and, and the uh, UCSF Embrace program and the Homeless Children's Network comes in, that we understand where these programs actually are fitting and that they are part of a, uh, a pilot from, from the state uh, that we're participating in to see if such types of services and programs can actually be helpful in a uh, in in this uh, very vulnerable population. So I think that's another nuance that we need to understand where a lot of these contracts are fitting in to uh, to our overall uh, picture of of the types of initiatives we have in in the various uh, uh, health things. Uh, we, we did that uh, when we were uh, implementing EPIC. We, we created an entire picture of what EPIC was going to look like, and we were able then to, uh, to tag contracts to what parts of EPIC and its build-out. And, and while that's uh, a different type of project, I, I think we were able to see the overarching uh, uh, types of, of objectives then it would really help us put these contracts into uh, perspective. So that's my comment on this. Uh, I, I think once they did that with the RAM contract, it made sense. But uh, otherwise, uh, aside from also not providing sufficient data, uh, but putting it into where we are actually as part of the department's program helps. Thank you. Director Colfax. Thank you, commissioners. And I appreciate the um, comments and the perspectives that have been shared today. And I want to assure you that the department uh, will respond. And I'm hearing both the concerns and unacceptable errors that um, came up earlier today in several of the contracts. And just to acknowledge that that cannot continue. Um, and I'm also hearing two other areas. One is an understanding of how the contracts fit into the broader scheme of the work that's being done. And then also within the contract, more quantification of the outcomes that are required as part of the contract agreement. Is that an appropriate summary? So I will bring this back to staff and uh, we, will come, we will work with Secretary Morowitz to make sure that there's a process by which the feedback is provided to the commission to respond to your concerns. I, th I think the 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 uh, the matrix of the description of the services with the quantification, because otherwise we're think we're looking at them, uh, you know, out of context of each other. So uh, I, I think that's what this helped 
to provide um, along with the budget. So, so uh, you know, we know it's going to take time to put all of this, you know, in the kinds of format uh, that we're looking for without creating, a, a, you know, a whole new set of processes and procedures um, that, you know, uh, over time will happen. Um, but it is, I think, much more incumbent on us at this period of time, uh, you know, there's with, with, you know, the, the difficult financial situation that we're all in, not just the department, but there are contractors and our vendors. Commissioner Chung. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that it's actually both um, quantitative and qualitative because we've been discussing about this for the longest time is, you know, like what are the outcomes of these dollars that we invest? Like if we don't know the outcomes, then how do we know if we should continue to invest in these services? It's one thing to say that we provide so many units of services. It's another to say that the overall maternity, um, um, maternal um, fertility rate has dropped 5%. I think that, you know, like we would be very in, interested in knowing those narratives as well. You know, we do very well with, you know, HIV services and prevention, and we do very well with, you know, like hep, hep C tracking. Um, I think that we can do just as well for these other, you know, type of programs. And again, following up with uh, Commissioner Chung, I, I agree. And she, once again, she was being very nice. I think it, you know, not only be nice to know, it's necessary to know. I mean, we could think, we, we hear about all this beautiful work that's being done. Uh, and, but what if we learned, and I'm sure this has happened in the past, you know, throughout many places. It's like, well, this beautiful work that we were doing that we thought was gaining this outcome isn't working. So we need to do something different. And so we have to have the outcomes um, generated. I don't know what, you know, we can talk about how that will actually work, but at some point, you know, maybe it's when they, at some point mid-grant, they come and if there can be outcomes at that point so far, we can get them, or when they come back the next grant cycle and they had a grant before, report on the outcomes and the work that you did, and you know, and so... I, we need to figure out, I'm sure someone has figured this out already, how to do it. We need to do it. And I, I guess, and these comments are really so pertinent. And I guess I, I would wonder, you know, many of these things, like I know in a maternal health, there are other places studying it and they have set outcomes, uh, goals, and they have set, you know, metrics. And it may be, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about, maybe you can give us some feedback about what is realistic and how to level set this given the staff and the um, vacancies and so forth. But it may be that we don't have to reinvent this work. I mean, we, we, we were the inventors with HIV, but maybe there are other places in the country that have already set these parameters for us so that we can just immediately give these contractors the best practices, what's being evaluated in other uh, jurisdictions and other medical centers so that we can then, you know, have something to go by. My, my last comment is I have total faith in our director because he loves data. He loves to analyze data. So I'm sure that, you know, like um, we, we can come up with some type of like matrix and analysis approach to all these different services that we, we are funding. I second that comment. Oh, so, so Commissioner Green, just to respond to your specific point, 
the DPH actually has a whole book of outcome objectives that they mandate that contractors use. And just that you all haven't seen them. And, and Michelle Ruggles will be presenting them to you when she comes to do the contract development monitoring. And they're just not part of the documents you get, but they are, they've been a requirement. I did contract stuff 20 years ago and they were there. It just that's not part of what you're getting. So I think that's something that we'll, we'll request moving forward. And then Commissioner Christian, um, the monitoring that the DPH does is separated out into fiscal where there's lots of check boxes, which is really important. But the outcome stuff is done by a whole different group of people. And, and the committee has been requesting that they come together so you all can see that. So we'll also work on that because that's definitely being measured. It, it's just that you all aren't, get, aren't getting that information. Perfect. Yeah, though, thank you for that. It would be really helpful to see that. And, and you know, some of these programs are new and innovative. So I hope, you know, the outcomes, we, we may be able to get more specificity by looking at other best practices, especially for some of these programs that are really just beginning. So yeah, it would be very helpful to have that. Great, so um, we'll do the um, Joint Conference Committee report from the January 23rd ZSFG meeting and then Maybe um, when it comes to the consent calendar, Commissioner Chung can um, make the motion and uh, define what we're actually voting on. So we'll we'll go to the uh, JCC um, report from Dr. Chow. Uh, thank you. On on uh, January twenty third, uh, we heard actually reports from the medical staff, which I was very impressed with, uh, from the Department of Medicine uh, summary. Um, turns out, uh, I guess maybe we all knew it intuitively but this department is the largest department within the medical staff there and has a very complex uh, administrative uh, 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 chart, of, uh, chart of administration and multiple uh, services that it offers and would be well worth uh, uh, you rereading if you want to understand what the Department of Medicine really does. And as an internist, I really appreciated it. So I just wanted to comment on that. We also heard the wonderful work being done by the Department of Urology. Uh, and uh, we then heard a presentation concerning the ZSFG's initiatives in regards to workplace violence and the fact that they are really making some progress in this. And their next step is actually doing a system-wide staff training and education on this uh, very complex problem. Uh, uh, on your consent calendar today are the uh, Department of OBGYN Rules and Regulations, which were uh, revised uh, uh, based uh, on uh, um, the uh, comments that were made uh, at a previous meeting, and the Department of Medicine Rules and Regulations, the Department of Urology Rules and Regulations, and also the Department of Ophthalmology's uh, standardized procedures. Uh, all of which uh, the uh, JCC is recommending that you approve on the consent calendar. Uh, in a closed session, uh, we then approve the credentials report and PIP's uh, minutes report. So uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Any public comment? Oh, folks on the line, I thought there was going to be a. Um, hmm. There's no public comment. All right. Any commissioner questions or comments? Okay, seeing none. Um, we will go to the consent calendar, and I think I should give the floor Commissioner Chung at this point. Thank you, Commissioner Green. Um, I think the um, the consent <clears throat> calendar. Um, we'd like to extract the February 2024 contract report and 
to make sure that we are only approving the contracts from the UCSF regions. You know, they have three contracts um, under the report, and we are deferring the other four reports to um, when they give us more clarifications and update um, in hopefully next um, commission meeting, which would be um, in two weeks. And to, uh, if I may clarify, so the motion would be to approve the consent calendar as is um, extracting the contracts Seneca um, to um, Edgewood contracts and the SF uh, study center from the February contracts report. Everything else is as is with uh, noting also that the AIDS foundation contract has been corrected with the annual amount. So you're voting on the corrected amount. Thank you very much. And um, Commissioner Chung, I think he put the words into your mouth. So we'll take that as a motion. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. All right. Any public co comment? No, none. All right. So I guess we vote. Yes. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this issue? Yes. Yes. Commissioner Chung, thank you, Commissioner Chung. Yes. Commissioner uh, Commissioner Guillermo. Yes. Commissioner Green. Yes. Commissioner Christian, and Commissioner Dorado. Yes. Thank you. The consent calendar passes. All right. Thank you. Uh, the next is other business. Um, is there any other business? Is there any public comment on other business? I don't see hands, uh, folks. We're on other business. Item twelve. No hands. All right. Is there a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. I'll do a roll call vote. Uh, Commissioner Chow. Yes. Commissioner, I'll start the other side. Commissioner Dorado. Yes. Commissioner Christian. Yes. Commissioner Green. Yes. Commissioner Guillermo and Commissioner Chung. Yes. Thank you all so much. Thank you. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.